On today's show, let's talk about the Cavs' last year roster spots. How should they fill those? And we're going to go position by position. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePick. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. The promo code is locked on. I'm Chris Manning. Cover the Cavs and NBA for outlets like SB Nation, Cleveland Magazine, and the Just Basketball Show. That man over there is David Damerill, the proprietor of Write Down Euclid. As always, we have Jake Stevens producing. I want to thank you again for making Locked On Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, segment one today is going to be about guards. Do the Cavs need another guard? Segment two, wings. Do they need to sign another wing? And segment three, bigs. The Cavs have two open roster spots. They do have a financial crunch. There's a max amount of money they can spend. You can look at like spot track and see what that exact number is. I didn't pull it up in front of me because of the max drew sign and trade. But Evan, let's start with the guards. Here's the guys they have on the roster right now signed lock. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, Sam Merrill, who is non-guaranteed, and Craig Porter Jr., the rookie on a two-way deal. This, to uh, me, this conversation question. is about Ricky Rubio. Do you what? consider Karis LeVert a guard or a wing in this scenario? Well, I didn't put him as a guard, so I have him as a oh, wing. there you go. I was just asking because I... Okay, go ahead. To me, this conversation about guard, it's about what you think of Ricky Rubio and what you think he's going to be able to give you next mm-hmm. season. Yeah, I, I really think so, too. I think Ty Jerome is a pretty cost-effective insurance policy behind Ricky Rubio just because you don't really need much from that third guard spot between Mitchell and Garland. Those are the two that are going to get the lion's shares of minutes, but to at point and shooting guard. Uh, maybe if you throw Karis Vert in at the one sometimes to just let him get weird with it, that's fine too. But to me, Jerome is like everything that Rubio based on last season isn't. Uh, he's a bigger combo guard. He doesn't play as big as maybe Rubio does defensively, um, but he's able to make basic reads and passes, and he provides you shooting, which I think is the biggest thing. Then he's very comfortable playing off ball, off ball as well, which is really important. But Rubio does have a little bit of that flair. I think he does have the luxury of familiarity with how Cleveland functions offensively and playing next to Garland, Mitchell, and um, Lavert on the floor, just as like your offensive guys at the in that guard stable, but. Um, with Levert being a forward, but um, for me, yeah, like y- you have to see where Ricky Rubio is at physically heading into the season because he fully admitted, and I think it's just it's proven time and again that like guys who are coming off an ACL injury like that, it takes them a full year plus to finally like feel physically right because it's not just the physical hurdles, it's the mental hurdles, and then. In Rubio's case, like he's torn that ACL twice, so it's probably a little bit of a longer road to recovery. And he is, I mean, in his 30s, so it's a little bit of a longer, longer road to recovery. So, and this is also a guy who never had a ton of athleticism to begin with. So, like, it's now a figuring out game. And does he still look rusty? Does he still look a little bit unrefined? But 
I also think that maybe this isn't as huge of a concern, just considering how Cleveland has just strengthened so much of the rotation elsewhere, that when looking through the lens of Ricky Rubio, you're looking at 10, maybe 15 minutes a night. Or if there's an injury, of course, like those minutes can fluctuate a little bit, or if there's just rest, it's the same scenario. But just like if the Cavs are fully healthy and we're like assuming this is a game, it's like do or die. Um, Rubio at most is getting 10 or 15 minutes if he is part of this rotation. In I this just hypothetical. Yeah, I I just think with Rubio, he's your best answer for an actual backup. Like he is your backup oh, combo yeah. guard. To, to, Hi Jerome, fine. I don't th- I don't expect him to be like a real contributor. He gave like the Warriors good value on a two way deal. You know, talking to some people about it, like they weren't like in love with exactly what he did game to game. So I don't exactly know if that's uh, a Rubio replacement. He's bigger. He can shoot. Like, that's kind of, I think, the logic there, but we'll see what that even looks like. With Rubio, it's the point of attack defense. It's the it's the being able to play with both guards, put another playmaker on the floor. And it's also you have him, like, yes, if, if it doesn't work with him, it's not a massive number, but let's just say he looks physically cooked in January. Mm-hmm. That That's a salary you could look to flip. It's a cold world. That's valid. I, but you... Could he is the guy? If it doesn't work, you go look the flip, find down their backup point guard, turn it over to Jerome. Maybe they really like Porter Jr. Um, that's where this at to me. It's if Ricky Rubio is right, they're going to be happy and play him a lot. If he's not, then I think there's a question, kind of what the structure of this group really looks like, and there's going to be an opportunity for someone to step up, or there's going to be maybe a move that needs to get made. Well, depending on how the rotation itself just shakes out in general, like, again, Rubio might be getting small bites in the rotation just regardless because you have Struess, you have Niang, you have Okoro, you have Levert that all probably have more legitimate cases to get minutes. Like, the point of attack defense, I'm sure people are watching, I made a face and Chris said that. Again, I think that's more of, like, how right is he physically? But, like, if you said, if he's cooked in come January, and it is a cold world, but the NBA is a business, and it's not the first time the Cavs traded Rubio when he just wasn't able to provide for them um, on an expiring contract. But you look to explore that avenue, and who knows? Maybe there is a team that just thinks, like, okay, like, let's just say Phoenix is like, okay, we could, we could rock and roll with Ricky Rubio because we have enough shooting around him that he can be our reserve guard. Maybe they... Suns have some type of assets or some type of player that can treat the Cavs a little bit um, down the pipeline a little bit, too. It's just like there's a lot of questions about this. Um, it's I'm curious to see maybe how they approach this. But from the outside looking in, like and talking about these two last roster spots, like I don't think guard is the most pressing need for Cleveland right now. And just in terms of that, it, it let's just say like they do have one roster spot open and there's like a guy who's bought out or. A guy who maybe is just killing it the G League or something. Maybe that's Craig Porter Jr. or somebody else. Yeah, maybe the Cavs use that roster spot then, especially if Rubio, or that is in the event Rubio just isn't right physically. But like when looking at just the grand scope of what this roster and how it is currently constructed, guard is probably third on my list right now in terms of just like need for filling one of these last two roster spots. Oh, I, I disagree with that. I, I think this is. I would have big last, and we'll get to that, just because I don't think you're going to have as many minutes to fill there. Right? Like I think, and I think you that's spent, also fair. Like I think you you spent very cleanly on pretty cheap stuff there. I think those guys are going to fill the minutes. I think wing. It's okay. We kind of know who's going to play wing minutes. Like yes, you. I think ideally you'd either want a core to figure it out, and you could trust him, or you get an upgrade there. We'll see what that looks like. You also, you know, you have Levert. You have that's where you have a lot of your glut of bodies now. I think guard. It's 
want someone to help manage the offense, I think, enough to give them minutes. And I like I, I think Mitchell is gonna run points sometimes. I don't think that's I don't think you want to leave him out there as the sole playmaker. I think Mitchell is great at a lot of things. I think one of the weaknesses that kind of keeps him from being a top like ten guy in the league is I don't think he's a great creator for others. And I think the beauty of playing someone like Rubio with him and being able to do that and squeeze minutes out of a guard like that is you get another playmaker on the floor to keep things keep things moving. I, so I, I, in some ways, I would still lead wing just because I think wing is such a big NBA need. And there are two guys in the wing rotation that I am very nervous about if I'm Cleveland um, and, and a little concerned about after how last year went and how last year ended for them. But guard would not be far behind for me. Okay, I think that's valid. Because um, when we talk about bigs, I... I'm going to give myself a little bit of a soapbox to talk about Isaiah Mobley, maybe just being one of those roster spots, and that mitigates the need, maybe just lowers the concern quite a bit. But um, I just think if you were like playing with house money, and the Cavs are a team that traditionally keeps a roster spot open, so we'll just say it's one player, like, yeah, it's always going to be wing. And like I'd say wing, 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 like nine or eight times, and then I'd say like, or maybe nine times, and it's a flip-flop between big and point guard, that like 10 like the what the 10 percent of this like entire episode for me in terms of just need because like you said it is a perimeter heavy uh combo wing type league now where like those players are just so essential and if you're able to unearth one that can give you some type of valuable minutes you ride with that versus uh a guard that maybe has some limitations at least at this point in the free agency market um or a big that just like as you said the Cavs have played this very cheap in terms of just addressing depth uh, pretty much every season behind um, Allen and Mobley. The, the last thing I would say uh, about this is Rubio last year, just statistically on offense. Defensively, the on-off numbers actually held up fairly well. Cavs were like nearly five points better per 100 possessions with him on defense last year. That's not – it's like about a point less than what it was last year. 4.6 per hundred last year, 5.3 in his minutes with Cleveland the year before. The offensive stuff is where it dropped off. They were minus three per 100 with him um, overall on the field on the floor, and then minus 7.6 per 100 with him on offense. He is net, the, the, his previous worst on-off split on offense was back in 17-18 with Utah when they were, when they were minus 1.7 per 100. He has never had an on-off offensive split like that. And if there's like if that's that is one of many indicators that I wonder if the cliff is staring Ricky Rubio in the face and that that to me that that would spook me a little bit all right coming up we'll move on to the wings the Cavs spent a bunch of money on the wing Max Struess George Ning do they still need someone else we'll talk about that coming up next today's episode is brought to you by our friends at prize picks so how does it work you pick two to six players and if they score more or less than their prize picks projections you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus those projections available. PrizePigs offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and more. That's a lot of sports. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. 
with the promo code locked on. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. If you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you 100. So don't forget to enter that promo code locked on and sign up for that instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every day, as we are going to be back tomorrow, diving into weaknesses. The Cavs spent some money this summer. They made some moves, but what are still some roster concerns lingering? We'll dive into that on tomorrow's Lockdown Cavs. All right, so Evan the Wings. Here's the guys on the roster. Max Drews, who I think we would pencil, but like not really thinking about erasing it into as the starting three. Yeah. I, I don't know if we're at pen yet, but pencil. Say, say pencil is important because we'll see how training camp pans out. We'll see maybe just how GB Bickerstaff utilizes just the new additions versus who is still remaining after free agency and the sign and trade for Max Struess. But just in terms of what Max Struess provides, yeah, he was written in with pencil so that you could maybe erase and correct the starting five. But for now, he's written in with pencil. Um, and the starting five. Go ahead. The You move on to um, some of the other names we have here on the list. George Ning. You have uh, Isaac Coro, Dean Wade, Karis Levert, who you brought back on a two-year deal, and Imani Bates, who's on a two-way deal and a rookie, and I don't think is going to factor into uh, the real need here. I don't expect that to be someone that, that plays a significant amount um, of basketball. So keep for what that is worth. Okay, keep that in mind. And my concerns with this group will go to Wade and Okoro because I don't think they trusted... they what Them not trusting Okoro in the playoffs tells me they don't trust him that much in general. And then on top of that, I would look at... Um, I would look at Wade and say, yes, there was a shoulder injury, but that just went really wrong for him and he wasn't a factor in the playoffs. So, so what, are the, the, what are the wings here... And look, are they going to sign someone that is going to push these guys? No, but would I want one other body to maybe make me feel a little bit better about this group? Sure. So before we tackle what Cleveland does have, is there a name out there? Like uh, one that came to mind pretty quickly for me was Rudy Gay, who has been linked to both Los Angeles teams, I believe, the Warriors. He has evolved more into a four than a three, but that is a body at least that can kind of provide you something if he's healthy, of course. I would, you know, Kelly Oubre is still out there. I would not hate that um, for really, really cheap, uh, considering his market. Even even if it's a year and he's not like a great shooter in the way that I would kind of want, I could talk myself into that as like a one-year kind of flyer for someone that I think is going to probably be looking to recoup some value for himself. He made, you know, 12.6 last year. He's not going to get that. Um, so there's that. You know, TJ Warren, take a flyer on that kind of guy. Um and then, look, if just from a, like a locker room leadership standpoint, like I wouldn't hate just being like, yeah, that's just one more year of Danny Green on the minimum. Why not? Yeah. Um, Ubre, I wonder how that fit would work, just because he that that he was on a bad Hornets team last year, so it's hard to fully gauge like what he can provide you in terms of just like a flipping the script from like a bad uh, situation to a more winning situation, but. Ubre would make sense just because of the youth. There's that shooting upside, the athleticism, like just from a pure player perspective. Yeah, it's worth exploring, especially if he does sign on the vet men. But I would be kind of surprised if he did that. I wonder if he could maybe 
uh, finesse a bit of a team's mid-level exception if any team has like a serious portion of it remaining at this point. Um, and I think that's worth exploring if you're um, Kelly Oubre. But yeah, Danny Green, if he enjoyed his time here, I think you and I have been in agreement on that too. Like having more veterans in the locker room or a guy like Danny Green who at least has the respect of a lot of the dudes in the locker room. I think it's a guy Donovan Mitchell kind of picked the brain of a lot just based on what their media availabilities and what the coaching staff has said about just <clears throat> Danny Green's impact on the team. Um, like, yeah, that that's probably a valuable thing too. And also definitely will stop the conversation of, okay, when's Danny Green going to play? Because I think it's pretty clear Danny Green is in his late thirties and dealing with the, still some injury recovery, but like maybe just isn't the same player that it once was, but shifting the focus back, um, to what the Cavs did this offseason, like Max Struess, yeah, makes sense. Well, George Niang. Let, let, I'll go ahead. This is the, let me ask you this. Who of, of Wade and Okoro would you trust more to actually step up and play minutes next season? Okoro right now. Okay. And that's just because at least what Okoro provides is point of attack defense, and that's so, so valuable for this Cavs team because they did make moves this offseason to sacrifice some of that defense for offense just to kind of counterbalance the two-headed monster you have between um, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on the interior and just, like, Mobley doing Mobley things. But, again, like you said, like, Wade's situation was weird. Yeah, a lot of it could have been the shoulder injury. I think it was a confidence thing, too. Like, the shot just wasn't going in. He looked certainly passive when he did start in those few times with the uh, four main guys in the starting lineup. And... I wonder if he can kind of regain that confidence and find his shooting form again. Like, that's something I kind of want to watch early into the season because Wade is a pretty valuable contract just in terms of the fact that, like, none of the years are guaranteed and he is a bigger player that is naturally a power forward who is at least shown comfort playing the small forward position. And he provides you rebounding. He does have a little bit of defensive understanding and acumen, but, like, the shooting aspect is just so, so underrated. And... Yeah, if he's right, like maybe you go with him, but I, I just feel hesitant to say like, okay, well, if Dean Wade's not providing you shooting, he's not giving you much out there when he's playing. Just like, just based on how he looked and his confidence looked and just how he was kind of utilized at times in lineups and rotations for the Cavs. Yeah, I think you brought in Yang to be sort of like what you hope Dean Wade could be. Now, they're a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. Wade, I think, is maybe a little bit better defensively. I think he has a little more juice attacking off the dribble. Um, there is like some sneaky white guy athleticism with, with Dean Wade. But Niang is just going to like shoot it and feel really comfortable with that. Um, and he like he also might like in reality, Niang might be more of like a big in this conversation just because he didn't play a ton of three last year. And I, I don't think we know if the Cavs are going to try to shoehorn him into certain lineups as a three. Um, I would again, I don't have expectations for Bates. No, I, Levert, I, I, we, well, Levert, we know what he is. Yeah, so I don't know quick, if I, my, I don't, my, ex, my yeah. expectation for Bates is I expect him to spend a lot of time in the G League this year, finding yeah. consistency and just bulking up as an NBA player. Yeah, I I think where I want to end with this is I don't know. This is how I would answer this: the question I asked you. I think we're going to know the first month how much they really like want to keep trying to get something out of Okoro and how much they're just like, okay, we don't trust this guy enough. It's, it's time to just kind of either trade him or do something with him. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. Right. I, I think that's like still an open question. Um, we'll see if he gets a shot, but I, I the playoffs just make me, th- I make me just wonder if it's, it's, we're running out of time here to, to see him 
be someone that's a, that they actually have had a, a long term interest in. Um, like they didn't uh, Obi top and like dump him, a la what the Knicks did to trade him Indiana. You know, and I don't think we know exactly what this is going to look like for him. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting just because when you think about like the Cavs' confidence in some of these rotation guys that have been here through the better part of this rebuild, like it's now make or break time. Like I know Kobe Altman last year said, and JV Bickerstaff reiterated similar points uh, at the beginning and all throughout the season that like it wasn't championship or bust but now you've made the playoffs great you can't keep lit resting on your laurels of regular season success like you actually have to go make some noise in the playoffs and it's pretty clear like just based on some of the moves they made this offseason like the, the Cavs are leveling up in the way that they are trying to not just make the playoffs but make like a legitimate run in the postseason because they added shooting they added guys that mm-hmm. maybe don't fit the core ethos of what J.B. Bickerstaff wants as a player but like I think you have to make those sacrifices and learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable with maybe not what you're used to having, which are in the last season's case, like it's Isaac Okoro who didn't give you much shooting Dean Wade, who didn't give you much shooting because the confidence wasn't there. Lamar Stevens, who just isn't a shooter and is a worse shooter than Isaac Okoro. Like there's a lot of dudes that just are clunky fits on the back end of this rotation. And again, Wade on paper, the idea of Dean Wade makes so much sense for this Cavs team. I think that's why they were kind of comfortable letting Kevin Love go and at least exploring mm-hmm. Kevin Love trades when Love said he wanted out. I mean, well, actually, more importantly, they benched Kevin Love because they thought Dean Wade was like the heir apparent to him. So, Plus the, and the, and the injury when his shot and the injury just, like, too. collapsed. Yeah, but it, it's it, the timeline just lined up pretty well when it came to Dean Wade and like the, the, the momentum, like the extension was an indicator like, okay, we want to keep him around for the foreseeable future probably on a year-to-year basis of course just because the nba is a cold cold world like that but wade was a development success story and you just look at that it's it's interesting because like you said like karis levert we know what he is um we know what he provides I, i'm curious to see do we get the same levert as last season but like at least you know what you're getting is uh bench scoring is, is assuming he comes off the bench but you bring in Yang, you bring in Struess, like those are two guys that are likely going to be in the rotation on opening night. And you look at guys like Wade Nakoro, like you got to provide or prove something to make sure that like, you can carve out legitimate minutes because Bickerstaff's not a dude who goes 10, 11 players deep. He's very comfortable going eight or nine. And that means, and if Rubio's in the mix too, that means like Wade Nakoro are going to be scra- scrapping and clawing to get minutes at the back end of the rotation. Up next, the bigs. They added Damian Jones, Isaiah Moby showed out at Summer League. They have him on a two-way. Is there a need at Big Man? We'll talk about that coming up. All right. Uh, bigs. Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Damian Jones, Isaiah Mobley. Niang is more of a four. So if you want to say he's part of this as well, I, I'm not going to push back against that. Evan, I don't know if I think I care if they added another big. I think Damian Jones as like a really cheap like lob threat is fine to eat some center minutes. I, I would want to see what Isaiah Moba could do in the NBA this year. I want to give him a little bit of runway as a two-way guy and maybe a future roster spot guy to see what this looks like. I And like there's not a center. There's also not a center left on the market that I'm like, sign me up for that. There, there's just not. And yeah. I'm so I, if they ran this lineup into next year, this group into next year, I'm real good with it. I think I think it's fine. Yeah, I am too. Just considering that 
in terms of just minutes, like Niang kind of slides into that four spot. If Dean Wade's in the rotation, he can be in the four as well. And then you have Allen and Mobley getting the lion's share of the minutes. Um, I think Jones, as a younger guy compared to like what Ed Davis and Robin Lopez gave you, makes a lot more sense just because he's an, he's an extra body that can absorb a lot of the physicality and contact of the Pistons and as you said they're 80 million centers or even a team like Philly Milwaukee Indiana has Miles Turner um, Phoenix has KD and um, DeAndre Ayton like teams are leaning towards finding multifaceted big men and having an extra guy who can kind of take some of the physicality that the opposing bigs provide and keep your other like key guys fresh that that's a godsend but like like you said it's not a super pressing need I think just in terms of the two open roster spots you consider your options internally. Maybe Isaiah Mobley's momentum from summer league carries into training camp in the regular seat or the preseason and maybe the early beginnings of the regular season. And you're thinking like, okay, we sign Isaiah to a Dean similar to like a Kobe Alden special, maybe with a little nicer flavors in it, just because you want to do right by one of your franchise cornerstones and his younger brother too, just because, you know, actions speak louder than words. But other than that, like, yeah, I, looking at the market like people say like oh there's demarcus cousins or like dwight howard said he wants to come back and play for the lakers like there's going to be like those names of ghosts that people are chasing because the idea of them or they play 2k and these guys just become god killers in those games just because that's a video game not real life um yeah i just don't think big's like a super pressing need like i just think for me like in terms of signing like it's isaiah mobley but you probably want to still see like one is the summer league stuff gonna carry into the NBA season, and two, the luxury of the two way is he gets more minutes than he probably would with the Cavs right now, and allows him to kind of continue to develop and grow under whoever's coaching the charge. Let me ask you this as an Isaiah Mobley question: The Cavs are a team that has aspirations. They have, you know, I I think the goal is obviously to try to compete for, um a title and push for that. I don't know if they're in that inner ring. I don't think they are. They have a lot to prove, I think, based on the playoffs went. But they're clearly a team that wants to win now. This isn't a team that is looking ahead five years or anything like that. Hmm. Considering that, considering the pressure, I think, to show something this year, do you think... I personally think it is would be wise of them to give Isaiah Mobius some runway to figure out what you have in him and see how that looks, especially while you have money to win. It's not really going to count against your cap in a big way. Do you think that's a reasonable thing for Cleveland to spend some time on this year? I do like think give it's him reasonable. M- give him 30 NBA games and see what happens. Gosh, 30 might be a lot, though. Um, we also have to see how the schedule pans out. Maybe there's more back-to-backs or certain just scenarios with the Cavs. Or, like maybe. J- Jared Allen twists his ankle and misses three weeks. Like you're gonna Yeah, that's like- – yes, 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 yes. So, like, let's say, like, if there's an Allen injury, you slot Jones into the starting lineup, you use that two-way and milk as many of the days you can with being with the Cavs before you make a decision to send him back to the charge permanently or keep him with the team. Um, yeah, that though, that's an opportunity. If an injury does arise, I think, yeah, you, you could give Mobley like like those like ninth, tenth man minutes at the back end of the rotation just because, again, there's just a lot of guys that are ahead of Isaiah Mobley right now in terms of just NBA viability. But um, I'd say 20 to 25. I think more than that, though, you just keep an eye on what he's doing with the charge. And the nice thing with two A's, at least, is, is like they're allowed to practice with the Cavs, like Craig Porter Jr., Imani Bates, and um, 
Isaiah Mobley, like they're able to practice with the Cavs, so the coaching staff can keep tabs on their development too and how they look against the the key guys in their on their roster and depth chart. But I, yeah, I'd say maybe twenty five games, but you have to wait for the situation to arise. You just can't force it, obviously. I kind of wonder if I would just uh, just because I. I think you got to just give him like to figure this out and like, especially if you're going to like make him your backup center year for now and project that out. I kind of might just like force it. And I, I think you do need like a substantial sample. It has to be 15, 20 games. Like it can't just be like five games. Like I think you need to give him like a real run and go through some ups and downs, at least maybe in, in 10 game spurts or something. Yeah. Um, and look, let's just be honest about it. The the charge will th- those players that coach anyone down there are going to want to win games. But the Cavs' bottom line is going to be more about finding which of those guys can play at the NBA if they need them to. Much less like, hey, let's chase like a G League championship. Um, yeah. So if they just like pull Isaiah Mobley up for a little bit, I kind of think it might be worth it just to get a better idea of what you find out with them because he he did well in the G League last year. He looked awesome. He was their best player at summer league, to me. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Didn't make it all summer league team, but like whatever. Now the next step is: Does he either a go back in the G League and dominate it, or does he get to the NBA and show he can play at that level? You got to find out. I think the latter more than the former a little bit. Mm. And so I, I just I might just give him like run just to find just to find out. I'd be curious. I'd be curious too. And I think another player I think of, it's not apples to apples, but maybe a similar situation um, is Sam Merrill, where he didn't play much, if at all, for the Cavs. Um, He was with the charge after being their number one overall pick, but he was killing it for the charge. And at least for me, like looking at Merrill at Summer League, who's probably the second best player for the charge, or sorry, not the charge, the Cavs during their time in Vegas. um, I mean, Las Vegas charge would not be like. Uh, unrealistic thing to uh, to to call the summer league Cavs. Fair, um, but like Merrill is in this weird spot where he's kind of clearly too good to play in the G League just based on his skill set and just the fact that he just kind of dominates the competition every time he's out there. And I think Mobley kind of falling into that same vein, but like he's not quite good enough yet to play in the NBA. Whereas the situation defers is Sam Merrill's 27. Um, Isaiah Mobley's still in his early ish twenties. I know he's not like super young, but like he's younger than Sam Merrill and there's still room for him to grow and develop and just kind of flourish as a player. So I wonder if the Cavs kind of see that though, like maybe they just can't find the opportunity to let Isaiah Mobley get like consistent minutes with the Cavs and like, they just watch him with the charge. He continues to dominate the competition down there and they're like, okay, I think his development's complete with Mike Garrity or whoever's coaching the team. Let's bring him up here and just keep the Cavs on a consistent basis to keep growing and developing him. And maybe towards the end of year two for Isaiah Mobley or more so heading into year three, like that's his chance to like crack a spot permanently in the rotation. Yeah, I, I see that being a path, but I, I, I'm interested to just, I'm interested to see how it goes. Like, because you could, like you said, you've made a pretty solid case of yeah, the Cavs just kind of have to figure out what they have with him, but also, like, I, the devil on my shoulder is just whispering to me, saying, like, there's just dudes that are ahead of Isaiah Mobley right now, and maybe more than that, like, J.B. Bickerstaff's such a creature of habit, I think he'd rather lean on NBA vets and guys that have, like, proven NBA minutes and just film that he can break down, like, at that level. He would rather just lean on those guys instead of, like, uh, not an unproven commodity, because I think he has a pretty close familiarity with Isaiah Mobley, just due to his close development with the team but 
a guy that he doesn't fully know is ready for the moment like and maybe there is a path where Mobley eventually levels up and he's like in that Lamar Stevens role where like if you call on him he's not going to be overwhelmed he'll give you what he needs him to give you but you look at that or I don't know there's a lot of ways to go about it because like I keep thinking like your argument's solid like yeah you should probably just give him some minutes or find a way to give him minutes in your rotation utilize the other end of the two-way and let him play with you for a bit and if he seems ready that makes the decision easier but there's also just like a lot of roadblocks in my head mentally that fully prevent from just like embracing that as like the development path in my eyes for Isaiah Mobley here's the last thing I'll say about this and we'll get out of here it's not as if Damian Jones might be fine. I think like yeah. for the cost, it's like you got him for nothing. Like that's cool. This is we know what he is. He's twenty eight. He's a five point two points per game career score, three point four boards, played has played fifteen minutes a game and for averages here. That included fifteen a game last year with Utah. He's never played more than twenty a game in his career. Mm-hmm. Never played more than fifty six games in his career. This is like a fringe rotation guy. At best, Correct. I think what we, I think you, I think like if you want to say like, I don't know, I don't know if the drop off to Isaiah Mobley is really going to be that drastic. If there is a drop off at all, I think that's valid. Um, sorry, I'm just checking something. So, Damien Jones is six years younger than Ed Davis currently. Um, I think that age gap is certainly worth noting. Um, Robin Lopez, meanwhile, Damian Jones, and also uh, Damian Jones is taller and has a longer wingspan than Ed Davis. Um, Damian Jones is seven years younger than Robin Lopez. So I think that's just the one thing he has as he's a dude who's not going to play most nights. And as you noted, like, hasn't really cracked most rotations, whether it's with the, the Jazz or the Lakers recently. Um, and that's fine. I think he's just like, Okay, we need an extra big body out there to absorb those minutes, but maybe we need a guy who's got a little bit more uh, tread on his tires so that he can maybe step up on those minutes a bit more. Because, like, yeah, the Ed Davis experience and the Robin Lopez experience were fun, but, like, when you think about it, you're like, the Cavs kind of, kind of got to get a little bit younger in terms of just, like, insurance policies behind, like, two franchise cornerstones and Allen and Mobley. That's just kind of where my thought process is. Like, I don't expect do much if anything if those two are fully healthy but if there's a night they get off or if, like you said one of them gets hurt i feel comfortable with damian jones playing like a not a consistent stretch of games but like a bigger stretch of games than i would like robin lopez last year or ed davis two three years ago send there i'm chris manning that's everything we're back at you tomorrow with more locked on Cavs. we're going to dive into weaknesses on the roster until then peace out boy scouts thanks again to jake stevens for producing <laughs>